Greetings, my Revolution Live LinkedIn friend. In fact, I've got a few more than one friend, so thank you for joining us and you're in good company with lots of other people from all around the world. We'll be saying hello to a few of those later, of course. So this is the last meetup of 2022. Can you believe this year has just whizzed by? And my last guest, some people could say we've saved up the best till last. I'm sure Roland would, <laughs> would say that. Um, Roland Vanderput, how are you? Welcome to Revolution Live, my friend. Great uh, to be here and uh, thanks for the welcome, uh, Roger. Yeah, you're, you're, you're more than welcome because I'm so looking forward to learning about some pretty fundamental things here. So the title of our meetup today is The Truth about fast charging, renewables, and the grid. And as we're about to find out from Roland, um, that's really specialist knowledge. This is about highly technical aspects of how energy works, how it moves backwards and forwards, where we're going with electric vehicles, um, where we're going with, with energy, especially renewable energy. Um, so it, it is very technical. We're not necessarily going to be talking too much about the commercial aspect of the fast NED business, which unbelievably, it's I think, it, is it 10 years old today or this week or Yeah, this, this year we're celebrating our 10th anniversary. So Fastnet was uh, founded in 2012. Uh, so that's already more than 10 years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's amazing because there is another company that's been developing uh, in, an impressive charging infrastructure. Uh, they're based in America. Um, I don't, have you heard uh, Tesla? Have you heard of this company? They, they've they've got quite a few chargers as well out and about. Have you come across those guys? Yeah, I do, but I've never driven <laughs> a Tesla privately. So, I, of course, I've, I've used the uh, Teslas uh, and the Tesla supercharger as well. Uh, yeah. But I've done a lot of driving around in various vehicles uh, for longer yeah. trips, but I've never used a Tesla for that because it would have been too easy uh, back in the days. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, of course, that's a bit of fun. We all know who Tesla are, you know, the outlier in many ways. Um, but in fairness to Fastnet, having, having been around for 10 years doing what you've, you're doing, I think you've got over 200 charging stations now. You've got, I think, did you open four in one week recently, a couple yeah, of weeks ago? Yeah, we are really coming up to opening uh, uh, several stations a week. Uh, because the construction teams are very busy and obviously we are constructing stations in multiple countries. Uh, yep. So that also means that uh, we can uh, basically open more stations uh, in a week. So we have 225 stations as of today and more than a thousand charges uh, online for customers and active in six countries. Yeah, that's very impressive. That's very impressive. So just so people know exactly who you are, you are the head of charging technology at Fastned. I kind of got a sense that you were good at technology because I've got to tell you, you've got the best camera, the best screen and the best audio of any guest we've had all year. Um, it's It looks, I feel like you're next to me and we're in the same room together. It's that's yeah. an amazing camera. Yeah, um, it's, it's and by all the way... It's all team effort, eh? so in order to have the best charging experience, you also need uh, good teamwork. So that ranges for anyone good with cameras or making a good lunch. Uh, but also, of course, having the grid connections and all the tech part uh, of that as well. 
Yeah, yeah. That's that was a nice segue you did there, by the way. I'm I'm impressed. I think we're going to get on very well, actually. Um, and what I would love to show people, you showed me just before we came on air. Could you just stand up and can we have a look at what you're wearing? Look at that. Stop burning dino juice. Love it. Absolutely love it. I've got a very boring top on. It makes that's because I'm a very boring person. Let's see if we um, can fix that, uh, Roger. So we'll yeah, see if we have well, one spare left for you. Well, 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 as if I was asking for one. <laughs> that's very kind. Um, listen, we've got. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with our format. We have an audience, as I mentioned at the beginning, from all over the world. We will be bringing people on stage to ask the question in person. Um, and we will ask as many of the questions as possible from our audience because really uh, Revolution Live is as much about the audience as it is about the guest. You know, I'm sure you're okay with that. Um, so let's just have a look at who we've got at the moment. We've got... Uh, Corey, we've got Aiko, we've got Joe, we've got people from Amsterdam, Boston, uh, Massachusetts, Wuppertal in Germany, um, we've got uh, Mattis from Frankfurt. So look, you know, people all over the world. This is this is the popularity and interest in fast charging renewables and the grid. So can I just sort of go back ten years then to the beginning? In how did Fastnet get started? You know. Where did it pop up from? Because in EV terms, 10 years ago is like a million years. Yeah, it's, it, it is like an eternity. So I joined eight years ago. The company was two years old then. And it was founded by two guys that said, hey, we see um, EVs coming onto the market, but we also see a challenge because you can't charge everywhere you want and the range is inherently limited of those vehicles. So how are we going to fix that? And they said, we need to fix the chicken and egg problem because people will yeah. only buy an EV if they can drive around similar to uh, driving around with a petrol car. So in order to uh, solve this chicken and egg problem, they said, we need to be able to charge those cars as fast as possible uh, and do this on the road where the battery goes empty. So that is along the highways of the Netherlands at that time. So they started yeah. uh, applying for uh, permits for uh, the service areas along the motorways in, uh, in the Netherlands. So they got around 200 locations and started building. So the first stations opened in 2013. And that means that our first station was opened nine years ago now. And it was equipped with just two charges capable of 50 kilowatts. And at that time, that was just super high tech already. Yeah, so yeah. we had the, one of the first CCS charges of ABB around that time. And of course, as time went by, we used the experience that we gained to build better stations. So uh, the layout was improved. And of course, also the charge speed was improved because 50 kilowatts is not good enough anymore for almost any vehicle. Um, so we now install 150, 300 kilowatt charges to be able to charge those cars a lot faster and provide much more freedom for all those EV drivers. So mm. over the years, we've seen a tremendous growth in number of sessions. In the early days, it was already exciting to see one person charging or two persons charging on our <laughs> network. So we were really telling each other, hey, there's two people charging at the same time. We had only 20 <laughs> charges at the time. Uh, and now yeah. we have more than a thousand charges. And now if we have, say, 400 people charging at the same time, then we're going uh, you know, in, the, in the right direction. That's, that's what uh, the excitement is of today. Yes, 
Yes. Well, well, look, let's go back a little bit. Um, we're going to go backwards and forwards a bit on some of this, I think. But back to uh, a little while ago when we posed a question on LinkedIn to say, you know, do you think fast charging is bad for the grid? You've just been describing there how beginning with, you know, uh, 50, we're moving up to 150, 350. And not only that, but many, many more electric vehicles, many, many more sessions. You've got, as I mentioned, you know, 200 stations now, etc. So the question, yeah, do you think fast charging is bad for the grid? Um, if you don't already know, if you're, you're tuning into this or perhaps you're listening on the podcast, um, here are the answers. Uh, if you haven't already had a sneaky peek, um, 16% of people think it is bad for the grid. So we'll come on to what you think, and you've got all this experience shortly. Uh, 36% of people, so just over a third, say uh, it isn't bad for the grid. Um, 34% say it depends, and then 14% don't know. Um, so I don't want to pick on anyone. Because I don't know who's answered these individually, of course, but for the people that didn't say it depends... Well, okay, we asked your opinion, you're entitled to it. For me, I think the answer to many things when it comes to technology, engineering, uh, you know, which is best for this than that, the best answer is it depends. So that's just a little bit under the top score. So um, most people think it doesn't harm the grid, but a, a similar number think, you know, it depends. So I'd like to get into in a bit what are, what are they thinking? Because... Um, what do you think of those answers? Which answer would you have picked, Roland, given how much you know about all this? Yeah, usually I also pick it depends or all of the above, depending on the uh, nature of the question. <laughs> That's usually the best okay. answer. Uh, and in this case, yeah, it also really depends on the, on the setup uh, and sometimes the country where you're in. Uh, yeah. But we can talk about that uh, in, in, in a bit. Yes, yes. So, so look, one of the themes and flavors I like to have on... Uh, with a with a guest is to start with a question that I don't want you to answer immediately because I want it partly to come out during the conversation. Then we come back to it, you know, at the end. Um, and that question would be kind of the number one misconception about you know um, fast charging infrastructure. You will talk to people whether they're you know um, OEM partners, whether they're whoever they are there will be something I imagine that comes out as a regular misconception about fast charging infrastructure. But don't answer that yet, because I think it will partly come out in some of the questions we're going to go through. Um, but also, uh, it's fun to keep it and come back to it at the end. That's uh, It's called teasing. That's what I think it's called. Um, so let, let's get into, uh, let, let's get into the, the, the whole thing. So thinking about 10 years ago when you said 50 you know, kilowatt charging was like, wow, um, and now that's kind of pretty basic stuff. Um, you mentioned a little bit of how this got started, but given that OEMs could have but didn't build out their own charging infrastructure, we've mentioned Tesla, the only one that has, um, how come you've had this run at it for 10 years, do, do you think? Why haven't we seen OEMs building their own charging infrastructure other than Tesla? Yeah, Tesla, of course, also suffered the chicken and egg problem with their cars. They wanted to sell the electric vehicles and noticed that nobody was building a charging network. There weren't even proper charging standards at the time, so they built their own. Yeah. And Tesla is a bit like the Apple ecosystem. If you buy an iPhone, you know, then everything is arranged by Apple. You're, you're entering that ecosystem. 
But for all of the other OEMs uh, and also charging operators, it's more like Android. You need to make sure that everything is able to communicate with each other so all cars can communicate with all chargers. And that's a lot harder. And OEMs historically, so the car makers, historically were busy focusing on their cars. And they never realized they also needed the charging infrastructure uh, as well to go along with those cars. Uh, in the mm. meantime, of course, they've also woken up to that idea. They know it is very important to have that charging infrastructure. And there are multiple companies providing this. Uh, so Fastent is one of them, uh, but also the OEMs have started a company providing these services, Ionity, and we have several yeah. utilities offering uh, these services as well, along with the oil and gas uh, companies. But I think Fastent is one of the pure, pure play companies in the space in fast charging in Europe. And that also helps. Uh, we are a mission-oriented company, so hence also the hoodie that I have on. We all believe in this mission, and we want to yeah. accelerate this transition to e-mobility. So we fully focus on the topic of uh, fast charging in Europe. Yes. By the way, don't keep mentioning that hoodie because Mark, amongst others, is saying, where can I get that shirt? <laughs> so, you know, as much as we're talking about technology, people now want to know about the merch. <laughs> um, so thank you for that kind of uh, overview. I mean, do you know how many fast chargers we've got sort of in the world now or in Europe now or whatever number? Yeah, so in Europe, I, I just looked it up. In Europe, we have between 40 and 50,000 chargers. It probably depends if you include the Tesla supercharging network or not because they have a right. pretty decent number. Um, mm. And we have about 1,100 of those in our own uh, network. So most of them are high power chargers. So they're much faster than the 50 kilowatt ones. Uh, and we need a lot more if we have so many more vehicles. And obviously, we need many more fast chargers. How many more? Ah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> probably almost as many as can be built and can be uh, put in, in the ground and connected to the grid. So it's really a struggle to uh, have enough locations, have enough grid capacity, uh, have enough chargers and install yep. them and also have the people to install them and the people to, uh, to maintain them and provide support and all of that. So we're not mm. wondering too much about how many chargers do we need. So we got uh, asked, uh, the people ask us questions in the past and say, hey, you're building these stations already nine years ago, but where are the cars? I hardly see anyone charging at Fastnet. So that was indeed in the early days. Yes. Now people are saying, hey, why have you built only stations with uh, a handful of positions? Why are you not building much bigger stations? <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course, now, uh, since we are on an exponential growth path, this is the hard part of, of scaling up uh, further and uh, expanding uh, further. So, but, it, but, but sorry, I, I'm going to cut, cut across you there. But, but, but it does sound to me like, um, well, it looks to me, and I think many others, like, you, 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 you took that risk, that challenge at the beginning, and you've had a bit of a land grab, quite frankly. Um, and, and so having taken that, some of the reward now is, is coming to fruition. You, you are getting busy. You are having, you know, um, a challenge with capacity. This is a good thing. Um, so can I kind of just come on to some specifics? What is the main challenge then on scaling EV charging infrastructure. And I, I suppose let's try and keep it in the technology arena, yeah, in, in the yeah. technical aspect, rather than any commercial things about funding and yeah. partnerships so, and all that stuff. What's the hardest thing? The two main challenges are uh, locations 
And in more and more countries, also grid connections. So locations, obviously, we need the land in order to build a fast charging stations where mm-hmm. people can charge, so enough space and also well accessible from highways or from cities. So that's a, that's a number one challenge. But the other challenge is the grid connections. Because as you've seen over the years, people have been electrifying the businesses and their homes. And in the last year, because Putin invaded Ukraine, everyone realized that our dependency on gas, but also oil, is, is not the way forward. We need to uh, be independent from uh, countries like Russia and probably others as well. So everyone is electrifying now at breakneck speed. So there's also a race to get uh, sufficient grid capacity in place, not just for fast charging infrastructure, but for any company that uh, is uh, transitioning to uh, renewable energy. So that, that is a, that's a big challenge and, and we anticipated that uh, fortunately. So where possible, we made sure that we requested the grid connection on time or as early as possible, but also with sufficient capacity for further growth. So it doesn't mean that we are not facing any problems. We definitely do. But in many of the locations, we have sufficient grid capacity in place for further growth as well. Mm. And I guess because you've been going for 10 years, you've already come across many of the, the, the regular issues, the regular problems. And I guess over that time, you've, you've been good at finding solutions uh, to all of that. But let me ask you this question then, um, in terms of challenges, because um, <clears throat> you didn't mention it, and I'm wondering if it is. What about people? What about talent? What about having, because I know talking to some people here in the UK, one of the big challenges is having enough electricians who've either got the desire, the knowledge, experience, etc. Well, they've probably got the knowledge, but but not necessarily experience or desire, to, to install home charging points, you know, just put the wall box on the side of the house. Um, how, how are you finding now as you scale up, as, as you've got this exponential growth, are you, uh, is it a challenge to find people to, to put all of this together? Yeah, finding the right people is always a, a challenge. So we try to optimize our processes uh, as well. And one of the advantages we have at Fastnet is when we build a station, we only need one grid connection, for instance. So mm-hmm. if you want to uh, install a lot of home chargers or a lot of on-street chargers, each time you need to change or uh, request a new grid connection and do a lot of installation work. But at Fastnet, we uh, connect our fast charging stations to the medium voltage grids. So instead of the low voltage grid, so that means we have a lot more capacity available and can instantly install multiple high power chargers serving hundreds of cars. So for the grid operator, it is a bigger project, obviously, than connecting a AC charger to the grid. But once they've completed that project, it brings capacity online for hundreds of vehicles to be charged. So that's in the end more efficient than doing a lot of smaller upgrades and a lot of smaller grid connections that also need to be maintained. And as we go by, we can use our experience uh, to apply that experience in new countries. So uh, last year, we opened the first stations in France and we didn't have a big team in France, but we brought the knowledge in from the other countries, so Netherlands, Germany, and then copied our learnings into a new country. And, and that way we can speed up the process uh, as much as possible. Mm. Right. Um, so treat me gently here because I, <clears throat> I definitely don't have the wealth of knowledge and experience you've got in the technical arena. But let me pose a very simple and basic question. Is fast, rapid, you know, fast charging bad for the grid? Um, 
because you know you, you hear all sorts of things people yeah. saying you know it's just not going to work you know it's going to fall over this is going to happen etc cetera, etc cetera. what is your 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 sense of that or your experience yeah for a lot of people a charger of 100 or 300 kilowatts sounds really impressive so it's a, it's a mm. lot of power if you look at it from your home perspective from your from your residence but for companies it is very common to have a connection to the medium voltage grid and have your own travel station like we do. So all of the bigger offices building, but also you know most supermarkets, all the uh, all the bigger companies, they all have their own grid connections, and they always switch on stuff. So equipment is started and stopped. So the grid is perfectly designed to handle those loads. So mm-hmm. uh, from the perspective of the grid, it's not so much an issue. <coughs> of course, if you switch on a single fast charger. You know, that requests 100 or 200 kilowatts or so from, from the grid. So in a self locally, that seems like a lot. But from the grand, in the grand scheme of things, that's almost nothing. And you have to imagine that we build stations with multiple fast chargers connected to a single grid connection. So there's always someone arriving or leaving or the charge piece is going up or down. So there's always some fluctuations uh, there. But unlike a single charger, if you hook up four or eight chargers to a single grid connection, things start to even out. So the demand on the grid goes up during the morning. It kind of plateaus during the early uh, afternoon and then starts going down slightly until uh, early evening. And that's just a single fast charging station. And we now have 225 stations online. So that means if you add up all that, all those interactions with the grid, it becomes like a very smooth curve, which goes up in the morning and then goes down in the evening. So we can almost predict how much we need from the grid and also for grid operators and energy companies, they can basically take that into account. It, it, there will not be any major surprises. There will be fluctuations, but there will not be any major surprises. Wow. You, you, just, you just explained <clears throat> some pretty you know, significant things in, in all of this. That knowledge, that, if you like, data that, that you have now around understanding the fluctuations as, as, you, as you describe them, um, energy in, energy out, time of day, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I mean, th- that's incredibly valuable stuff. Um, one thought I often have of people that are pioneers in, in, in a given industry is that, you know, you've taken all of the risks, you, you are now getting plenty of the rewards, but, but how do you reconcile the fact that you know so much stuff, what do you just give that knowledge away to people? You know, you've got competitors, you've got people want to get a piece of the action. You know, maybe take some charging facilities that you you would really want to take. How do you how do you now try and reconcile this you know amazing data you have with kind of sh- the sharing principle of accelerating yeah. the electric vehicle revolution? How, how does that work? Yeah, at, at Fastnet we've always been pretty open on on what we do, so we don't share the secret sauce that obviously we have uh, at no. Fastnet. But we've always uh, presented the uh, annual report, for instance, with a lot of information in there. And we also share our quarterly reports because we also like to tell the story and take people along on our journey, uh, where we've been, where we're going, how things are doing. So, yeah, we we want to tell that story of the numbers as well and the story behind the uh, infrastructure that we're building because we don't think we will be the only one doing this. And uh, probably that's not a good idea if there's only Fastnet uh, out there. 
So we need others to provide this infrastructure as well. And this can be mm. AC charging at home or at workplaces on street charging, but also fast charging. And mm. I think in a healthy market, there are multiple companies providing these services. And we are mm. pretty confident that with the knowledge and experience we have gathered over the last 10 years, and also with the focus we have on fast charging, we will uh, remain on the cutting edge of things as well. Mm. So we're quite confident in that sense. Well, I'm going to confirm what you've said there, because uh, Olivier Lambert says Fastnet have got a good reputation for open data as they were one of the first CPOs oh, to yeah. publish charging curves. So there you go. Look, you've got a fan. Yeah, um, and then we did it for a reason uh, as well, because I was also involved in that in the early days. Uh, we got uh, some questions from customers saying, hey, why is my car not charging as fast as I thought it would be? Because everyone was claiming 50 kilowatt charging at the time. So I also started collecting yeah. that data and creating those early curves to show that you know charging is probably a bit slower after 80%. And some vehicles even start to slow down at 60%. So we wanted to bring some competition to the market as well so that people will actually take the charging speed and the charge curve into account when buying a car as well. Because for a lot of people, it's a bit of a mystery how fast these cars mm. can charge. And by publishing these charging curves, we demystify that a little bit. And we also, you know, maybe uh, entice the OEMs to uh, speed up things a little <laughs> bit here and there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's not, that's definitely not a bad idea. A a absolutely not. Um, I'm going to come to audience questions in four or five minutes. So if you've got a question and you're watching, uh, please pop it up there and we'll do our best to, to, to get them all answered. But um, given that the title of this talk is about the truth uh, about fast charging renewables and the grid, can we talk a little bit about renewables for a minute? You, you, sure. you are very well known in terms of the design of your facilities for having solar panels on the canopies, on the roofs. Um, so, so thinking about, about that, what does that really contribute? It, it, I can't imagine it contributes an awful lot. So is it as much about illustrating the principle of using renewables as it is the reality of how much you actually capture from, from that particular roof? Or what, what, or what would you say to that? Yeah, so when designing our stations, we wanted them to be very visible uh, as well. And we also wanted our customers to have a roof similar to uh, the oil companies have with the fuel stations. So that's why we designed our stations with the roof. And then if you're designing a station with the roof, why not put solar panels on top of it? So that's why they got integrated mm. into all of our designs already from nine years ago. Mm. So that means that uh, we have these solar panels and inherently that capacity is limited. So it provides sufficient electricity uh, for a couple of charge sessions during summer, but obviously during the dark winter days that we're currently experiencing, uh, that's a lot less. So that's uh, uh, partly uh, provides the uh, power for these vehicles, but everything else is coming from the grid, from uh, local renewable uh, sources, so such as wind and solar. And particularly solar energy is interesting because like, uh, like I mentioned before, most charging happens during the afternoon. So we see a big increase in charging sessions in the morning and during lunchtime it peaks and then plateaus for a while and then early evening it starts to go down more significant. But that also coincides very well with solar energy production. So if during a sunny day, not during winter of course, but during uh, spring, summer or autumn, there's a lot of sun, so there's a lot of renewable energy on the grid. And then fast charging helps absorb that renewable energy 
uh, by basically putting it into a car. So if mm. you're doing AC charging during the night, you have to go to all kinds of smart charging mechanisms in order to not strain the grid as much. But by using fast charges in the afternoon, you already consume all that renewable energy that is put on the grid primarily by solar. So if I've listened to you correctly, I hope I have, does, does this mean you don't have batteries on site to store energy? Um, is, is, that, is that correct? But we don't have stationary batteries, but we tend to have customers. So those are the vehicles that arrive there. So on average, there's always cars charging during the day when the sun is out. That's at least what the future we're heading to. So if you look at the fraction of self-consumption, so how much of the energy that we produce on site with our solar panels we use ourselves, that percentage is increasing over the years as the uh, utilization of the stations increases as well. So there's no point in having battery buffers. I always say uh, we always have a battery on site and usually it's from a customer and has four wheels and a steering wheel. Mm. Gotcha. Now, of course, renewables isn't just solar. It's wind and lots of other things. So let's just talk about wind, wind for a moment. Um, so I'm sure there's some wind experts listening in, so I hope I don't get this horribly wrong. Um, but I imagine, you know, wind is to do with the weather and, and lo- lots of other things. Um, but I don't think there's a massive difference between daytime and nighttime with wind, is there? I mean, it's either windy or it's not. I mean, I, I think I'm right in saying that. Yeah, usually it's a bit windier during the night. Okay. And usually it's also windier when it's not sunny. So uh, that's also why a lot of these wind parks and solar parks try to combine the resources as well. So they should have both wind and solar on the same spot because they tend to be complementary rather than right. uh, happening on the same time. Well, I've never known that, Roland. Th- thank you. That, that's definitely something that's, that's news to me. So on that point, do you have or are you planning to have any, you know, turbines and any, any, any wind power adjacent to any of the, the sites or, or, or where does that fit in the scheme of things? And then I've got another question. So let me do one at a time. Yeah, so, so we would love to have our own wind turbines, obviously, but it's not so easy to integrate that into a station because wind turbines are most effective if they are as big as possible and they're also more effective if they're out on the sea because then they tend to catch, you know, maybe double the amount of wind than they do on land. So wind turbines are most effective if they're as high as possible and that doesn't work well with a fast charging station in urban areas or along the highway. Yeah. Uh, so we don't pursue that. So we leave that to the experts developing the wind parks. It's a different story for solar. So for solar, you can obviously have that much closer by on top of a parking lot, for instance, or on top of a building or in a piece of land. Uh, and we're looking at options to integrate that into our station so that we can use our grid connection to hook up to a solar park, for instance. Yes, I'm going to go to questions. I'm going to be sneaking. One more question for me then. When you talk then about uh, wind at night, etc., and, and often when it's not sunny, etc., um, just like someone at home can go and get cheaper charging, uh, uh, you know, there's a cheaper tariff at night because there's surplus surplus energy in the system. Um, do, do you have variable tariffs or are you planning on a variable tariff so that, you know, I'm not suggesting people want to get up at two o'clock in the morning and go and charge their EV, but, um, you know, are we working towards that where we have a kind of, you know, a, 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 a different, a variable charging cost depending upon the time of day? Yeah, we see a general trend in the industry to more frequently adjust the rates of the prices that you pay for charging. 
our rates have been constant for quite some time until the uh, Ukraine uh, war happened with all the impact on the uh, energy uh, prices. So we've now been adjusting our pricing every month or at least evaluating our pricing every month and then see if we need to adjust it. We'll see where the industry is going because also you need to have all the billing in place as well. So in order to do more dynamic pricing, also all market players, just as the MSPs issuing you the charge cards and so on, they have to be able to deal with this as well. But we fully expect that dynamic pricing is the way forward. And that also means that we are preparing for that as well. Gotcha. Oh, I've got some really good news actually for you, Roland. Listen to this. So um, Ike Madney says, I have an opportunity for uh, a new country in EU. Who, who is the best contact person? Please advise. So yeah, look at that. Look, this is, this is like a prospecting exercise. So um, for anyone, including Ike, listening there then, if people think this is a good location or I got a, you know, I do, how do they, how do they talk to you about this? Do they just go on the website or something? How does that work? Yeah, we have, of course, uh, a website where people can submit a location as well. And this is not about location that people think, hey, I think it's nice. But if you have a location, so you are the owner of the land, basically, you can go to our website and just click uh, that you want to become a location partner. And then uh, you can check more details and my colleagues of network developments can reach out to you as well. Mm. Mm, gotcha. Okay, th thank you. Um, I'm going to ask a question from uh, Marjoline, who says, how about in five years? How fast do you think, well, that's a good one. How fast do you think fast charging can get? Ooh. Will it ever be as, <laughs> will it ever be as fast as refueling an ICE vehicle? That's a good question. Yeah, the charge speed will go up. Um, uh, of course, uh, but right now the charging infrastructure is already more capable than most cars can. So uh, most That's cars true. cannot yeah. charge at 300 kilowatts or 350 kilowatts. So there's still a, a lot of room for growth. The industry is focusing on getting a charge until 80% in about 10 minutes. So we're not there yet. Now I think it takes about 20 minutes or 30 minutes even for a lot of cars. But the industry is looking at ways to speed up that charging process so that you can fill up your car from, say, 10% to 80% in just 10 minutes. Uh, that's a bit of the target that we're heading to. Right. Th th thank you. Good. I, I hope, hope Marjolaine got that one. It was a while ago, so I didn't bring him on stage. Who have we got? Uh, Alex. Alex Martel. Sorry we can't get you on the stage. I'm going to ask the question on your behalf then. How do you recommend getting started with developing a fast charging station? So that sounds good. Yeah. What do you think? It, it's all about having a good location. Uh, and a good location is where there's a lot of traffic, so potential customers, but also some services as well, because you don't like to be out in the desert or some industrial area without facilities. So our customers like to have the facilities to go to the toilet, get some water, get a cup of coffee, maybe a sandwich. And, and we haven't found all the perfect locations yet. So we'd be working on that and improving existing locations as well. But if you have a good location, then the question is, do you want to develop the site yourself or do you want to have a partner doing that? Because we have also some great examples of cooperations with a good site owner. And, and uh, Coach Hilda springs into mind. It's a German location whereby the owner of a bakery said, hey, I have this great site. I'm not an expert in building fast charging infrastructure. So they invited us together with Tesla to build that fast charging infrastructure. And then the site owner 
create a nice cafeteria where you can get really great sandwiches and, and pastries. So they stuck to their expertise and we also did the same for ours and that cooperation is working really well. Mm. Now, now you mentioned there's a big opportunity in the United States. Um, so what I'm curious about is kind of lessons learned, best practice, all this stuff. So you've got a lot of EVs in Norway. You've got quite a lot in, in the Netherlands. Um, quite, China's a big market anyway, and there's, there's lots there. Um, so, so around the world, you know, trying to reconcile things like the ratio of EVs to, to charge points, the, the speed of the, char- the charger, all of this stuff. And, and also thinking about, well, a lot of people who have EVs at the beginning are, of course, you know, early adopters. They are people perhaps who are more patient. They're people who kind of think, okay, it's going to be a different experience. I'm cool with that. But as we move into the, the majority and, and, and the, you know, whatever term you want to give the kind of um, main uh, uh, thrust, the main adoption, certainly as we get towards these deadlines of end of internal combustion engine production, what do you think is going to happen then? Is it going to be more of the same or are people going to be much more demanding? They don't want to wait 20 minutes, you know, like five minutes, 10 minutes. People are already more demanding in a way because the early adopters, they read everything about the vehicle. Yeah. They went online and chatted with, uh, with each other about, you know, their Nissan Leaf or their, their BMW i3 and, and knew more than the dealership. But now people are moving into electric vehicles that are not so well educated in that. And um, so we are always looking for new opportunities to explain them what influences charge speed, for instance, and why does it take longer if your battery is cold? Uh, and why does it take longer if your battery is 80% uh, full? And that's a big challenge because fast charging or charging your car is a lot more complicated than getting petrol. And as an industry, we need to make steps in order to make it as easy as possible. So we want customers just to sign up with us and then not have to worry about opening an app to start a session. So you can just plug in and then the charging will begin automatically, for instance. So we've been developing this kind of technologies to simplify the process for new users. So we continue looking at, can we change something in the onboarding process of the app? Can we adjust the screens on the chargers or the stickers or the layout or the information that we provide on our website? And that all helps in the onboarding of these new customers. And frankly, a lot of our more experienced customers do that as well. So if they are at the station and they see a newbie struggling with charging, most of them are more than happy to help out because they've been in the same position and they will say, hey, I can help you out. I've been there, so I will show you how it's done. I like that. I I like that sound of of things. And I love your term there, onboarding new customers. I, I, I think... This is something the industry perhaps could do a lot better at in general, um, is to be sympathetic to the fact that a lot of people don't know ACDC, you know, CHADMO, CCS. Or what are you talking about when you say these things? It sounds like a foreign language um, because all people want to do is fill up and go somewhere. Yeah. They, they're not interested in any of this stuff. It's just, you know, help me on my way. Um, so, so that's good. Uh, there's a question here I did want to ask, so I'm going to let, um, let's see if we can get Chris to come on stage. Chris is in Bulgaria, by the way, so yeah. I'll ask the question on your behalf. It takes a little while for the tech just to click in, but you'd know that, Roland. You're a technical guy. You know how these things work. Yeah, that's why I have a technical helper here to help me out with this great camera setup. <laughs> 
You've got a helper. I'm here on my own. How does that work? Okay, well, let's ask a question. Do you see any business case in combining EV charging stations locations with advertising? For example, charging stations that would also have a screen to broadcast ads or webinars. We've already got some of that, haven't we? Or, or what, what's your what's your situation with that? Yeah, it's definitely something that we're looking uh, into because if you have the attention of the customers, then there's potential to sell something as well, obviously. Um, but people are not just staring at the screen during the whole charging session. They, they tend to go about on the business, get a coffee or a sandwich or go to the toilet. Um, so that's why we want to open uh, shops at some of our stations. And then obviously we want to point them to our shop and the offers that we have there. So it, it is interesting, but we don't expect people to watch the charger screen for 20 minutes straight. Uh, most of them, I see them jump in a car and look on the phone. So that's probably the number one business that I see uh, happening uh, a lot on our stations. Yes, yes. But I could see that being popular in America, that thing of, you know, using oh, yes. advertising and all that stuff, because that's like, you know, that's the, la the land of the eyeballs and, oh, yes. and the value that they have. Yeah, definitely. Um, OK, going to jump in another question. Um, Macarand, who is in the UK, um, let's hopefully I can get Macarand on stage. Um, oh, no. Again, I'm being thwarted on this occasion. They're on a mobile device, so we can't do that. So Macaran says, do you think vehicle to grid has a future? And why is there a delay in implementing V2G in CCS? Because we've got it in Chadamo. In fact, you could argue we've had it in Chadamo for years because Nissan had it yeah. way back when they had the tsunami and had to cope with that. So, um, yeah, what V2G, V2H, you know, V to load, V2X, what, what, what's your... That's a big subject, I know, but can you give us a, a flavor of all that? I, I think we can have, we can have our, our separate podcast on V2G. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not the expert in it, but I've been looking into it as well, maybe yeah. for uh, my own home where I want to install a charger. Uh, it is now possible to do this with the CCS protocol. So recently, an update of the ISO 15FNH standard was issued where V2G is part of as well. One of the big challenges at the moment is also the grid operators because they need to allow the vehicle sending power back to the grid as well. And that's where one of the challenges is as well to have the car, the charger and the grid and of course also the user and the home and so on all integrated and speaking the right languages, adhering to all the rules and the regulations. So that is a, a big challenge, which is not only for CCS, but also for Shanamo. But I've already seen several announcements of vehicles capable of bi-directional charging. So Volkswagen made a pretty big announcement that their ID.4.5 and ID.Bus support it. Uh, but also several charger suppliers announced that they can do vehicle-to-grid. Now, having said that, it is not something uh, that Fastnet is working on. Because we like to supply uh, our customers with electricity as quickly as possible so they can go on their way again. Yep. So it's not the thing for us. But I understand this topic in general, especially since we get more fluctuations on the grid. So we need everything we can in order to uh, even out those fluctuations and also start buffering energy when possible and then delivering back to your home or to your grid when needed. Yes, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, uh, okay, and, and, and I, uh, even I probably perceive that there is a complexity to this that's, that's much more, you know, because you've got the grid, you've got the house, you've got the vehicle, you've got the battery, you know, that there's a number of 
very significant things to move backwards and forwards in in there. But okay, well, you're right. That would be a completely uh, other subject. Can I just say, Roland, I'm determined to get somebody up on the stage with yeah, us. Yes. So I'm now going to try and invite Joseph, uh, who is in the Netherlands. Joseph, welcome to Revolution Live. How are you? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, we've got you, Joseph. You're, yes, you, we can. You're there, yeah. Ah. So, w- w- welcome to the show. Um, please you. fire away with Roland, ask him whatever you like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was in a, in a course called Future of Mobility, and one of the things we were discussing about fast charging was how there was a lot of debate on does DC fast charging impact negatively battery performance and durability? And, you know, there's companies like Kia that say, do not use uh, ultra chargers so frequently. So try to alternate like AC with DC. Is is this true, or would you say there's not really a very high impact on the battery for using uh, DC charging all the time? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question and a question that we get asked uh, more often. As we said in the beginning, it depends a little bit because uh, a battery doesn't like to be in certain situations. So if a battery is fully charged and it gets pretty warm. Uh, that's very detrimental to the health of the battery. So if you fully charge your battery at home, for instance, and leave it on the driveway in the summer, that has a negative effect on the health of the battery. And also in winter, where we are in now, if your battery is very empty, so it's below 20%, that also can cause more wear and tear on the battery than uh, than normal. So it's best to keep the battery between, you know, say 20 and 80% when possible. And as it happens, for fast charging, you typically don't do this to 100%. And that's definitely not something that we would recommend either because of the slower speed. Um, so uh, typically you do fast charging until 80% or so, and then you drive off. So that battery doesn't stay at a high state of charge. Uh, so you're not driving off with a high battery. So that helps. And most modern batteries are also designed to be fast charged as well. So they're not only a lot bigger, so they can accept higher charge speed, but they also have uh, integrated climatization as well. So in summer or during fast charging, the battery can be cooled to keep the battery temperature in a healthy range, which is somewhere between 25 and 45 degrees. And in winter, the battery can be heated. So if your battery is too cold, it will actually be heated so you can charge faster uh, as well. So battery optimal temperature is between 25 and 45 degrees, depending a bit on the car. And with this active climatization, uh, that really helps a lot. But if you want to make sure that your battery stays uh, healthy as long as possible, just keep it at 50%, park it indoors and don't use it. Uh, because that's the best way, best way to preserve your battery. But as with anything that you use, if you take some simple precautions, like say not fast charging until 100% and then driving off after you have charged, uh, then the impact of that is uh, much less than if you mistreat your battery. So good question. Thank you very much. Yeah, J- Joseph, I, I mean, I really sympathize with you in part of your question that one manufacturer says this thing and another manufacturer says something else. You would think yeah. if the science and technology of all of this is basically the same uh, within reason, um, that, that, that there should be a standard approach to it. Um, so I, I have some sympathy w- with that. Uh, I, and I do think that OEMs, together with the charge point operators, do need to reconcile a number of these communications, a number of these messages, because, yeah, certainly, even if you've been in the industry for some time, and, and Roland has, uh, are you new to this, Joseph, or have you been doing it for a while? No, no, I'm actually new to the industry. 
Yeah, well, that's great to hear that, yeah. and 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 you're you're more than welcome. So, if some of us who've been doing it for a while are getting confused by this, if you're new to it, it must be it must be even worse. Yeah. So, we do need to you know help our OEMs and other people to to get their act together and find a a, a common honest and practical message that people understand so so there yeah. you are but joseph welcome thank you for joining us i hope you enjoyed yeah, thanks uh, for the question yeah it was a great question yeah our, our pleasure so we'll see you again sometime but thank thank you for now cheers thank you um right well there you are you see i was determined to make that happen and and i did um, yeah, and I look forward to the interaction with the audience uh, as well. So if you can find another one or we can find another good question, more than welcome. Oh, yeah, well, let's have a go. Um, okay, look, it, this is slightly a contentious question, I think, perhaps, uh, from Ike Madney in the United States. Uh, I'll see if we can get Ike on stage unless they're on a mobile. Let's have a look. I'll quickly see if that's the case. Um haven't actually got us yet, but um, a very simple, straightforward question. Um, so Ike is going to join us, which is great, from the USA, where there is huge opportunity for developing oh, yeah. charging infrastructure. We've got, you know... Um, I think in Europe, we're quite lucky with the relatively good infrastructure. If I see the messages uh, from the States, then a lot of infrastructure is lacking. It's not well-maintained. Uh, so sometimes people say, hey, Fastnet has to come to America. But I think we got our work cut out already in Europe. Uh, so I think <laughs> we quite happily provide our services uh, here for the time being. Yeah, yeah. But Electrify America are having a good go at it. You know, they've, they've got quite a few places up and running. They're starting to integrate renewables. I, I, I know a little bit about their journey. So, um, you know, they're, they're having a go. But, you know, if you look at the take-up of electric vehicles in the United States, it's very strong in California, um, but but where it's strong is typically where the infrastructure is strong. And you kind of can't blame people for thinking, goes back to the chicken and egg you mentioned right at the beginning. If if I can't see convenience for charging outside of my home or workplace, then I may be going to wait a while. So that there is a there is that fundamental um, challenge. Ike, I can't see you here yet with us. So I'm and I don't think you're with us on audio. Um I tell you what, I'm going to ask Ike a question. Um, it's a pity we couldn't get them on stage because I do think there's something a bit more than just the question. What are the real challenges for EV charging infrastructure? That's, interpret that how you, how you want, Roland. Yeah, I, I think I already mentioned in the beginning, it's about locations and grid connections, but also the right people and the right mindset to build this infrastructure and do it as best as possible. So... At Fastnet, I noticed that all of our colleagues want to have great infrastructure and we almost do everything in-house as well. So we scout the locations, get the permits, you know, make all the drawings that are needed. And then after the station has been built by a contractor, uh, we also do the maintenance ourselves and we do the customer support ourselves. We do the marketing, the app and so on. And by having lunch together on a big long table, we also exchange all the stories and thereby we can improve the user experience as well. Because we should not forget this is still an early industry. There's still a lot of things that need to be improved in the communication between the cars and the vehicles. So a lot of technical stuff needs to be improved as well. I personally am never happy with how things are going in that communication uh, aspect as well. So I had issues getting a charge session started with my ID4 as well. 
And you know, I'm frustrated that the industry didn't get the act together yet in order to iron out all those interoperability issues. So we need the right people with the right mind to push this topic, uh, topic forward. Yeah. Um, I've just invited Ivan to join us on stage. Ivan, can you hear us okay? Oh, you're there. Ivan, go on, fire away. You've got, you've got Roland, Roland there. Yeah. Please, please fire away. When, when looking at the, the area you're active in, uh, public charging, um, do you see AC charging as something that is going to be there in the future, or would you think uh, that DC charging would blow that away? Uh, yeah, good question, mm, because um, good. as right now, um, so for the batteries, you need DC power. So all the cars currently on the road are equipped with an onboard charger that converts AC to DC. But that's inherently an ex extra cost for those vehicles because it has to be integrated. Uh, you know, the, the car makers have to buy those components. So ideally, some of those OEMs want to get rid of that onboard charger. And what we're seeing is developments of DC wall boxes. So those are basically DC chargers, but then at a lower power that offer more than just charging. So they could also offer a vehicle the grid, as we mentioned uh, earlier. And if those prices come down and the functionalities go up, you can imagine that over time you will buy a car without an onboard charger. You just get yourself a DC wall box at home or in the office, for instance, uh, and, and then you don't need this additional cost in the vehicle. And that's already happening in China, where there's a lot of cars used as taxis, for instance, and there the taxi drivers always use DC fast chargers. So those cars are not even equipped with an onboard uh, AC-DC uh, charger. So there's definitely a possibility. So perhaps it will become an optional feature for your car. So you have to pay a little extra or they supply it as an accessory where you just buy it online and you get a kind of mobile DC wall box uh, then for uh, plugging in at home. Okay, great oh, answer. And Ivan, number one, thank you for a fantastic question. Number two, you're our last guest up on stage uh, with our speaker um, for the year. So I'd just like to thank you for that. Thank you for joining us. I, uh, Roland, um, I asked you a question right at the beginning. You know, what's the number one misconception of, of, of fast charging infrastructure? Spill the beans. What, what do you yeah. think it is? So people always say it's a big strain on the grid, but I think uh, it can also be a big helper to uh, absorb all the renewable energy that is put on the grid and particularly solar. Since most fast charging is done during the afternoon, uh, we can absorb that renewable energy that is coming onto the grid. And just recently, the International uh, Energy Agency uh, issued a report whereby they expect a quicker growth of renewable energy and particularly solar in all the markets um, over the coming years. Uh, and fast charging can actually help absorb that energy. And since we are connected to the medium voltage grid, we bypass all the restrictions in the low voltage uh, grid, and it's easier for the grid operators to integrate that as well. So uh, in the beginning I said, it depends, but if you uh, equip or if you have a fast charging station connected to the medium voltage grid, it can actually help absorb all that renewable energy as well. And having said that, we also need AC charging and all of that. We need everything we can put forward to accelerate the transition. And we're doing our part on the area of fast charging. Mm. Oh, you undoubtedly are. You're, you're what I would call a, an outlier or a maven in, in all of this. Um, so, so listen, there is so much more that we could talk about. This, you know, an hour just wasn't enough, as you said, when it came onto some of the other topics we, we could talk 
um, about those two. But can I just thank you, Roland? You've been an excellent guest. You clearly do know your stuff. Of course you do, because Fastnet is very successful. Um, I'd like to thank you. I'd like to thank the back office team, who I've mentioned before, uh, for put, who put all this together every, every month. Thank you if you've joined us for one or maybe all of them all year. This is the last one of 2022. We've already got some fantastic guests lined up for next year. So uh, for now, thank you for your your time, your patience when we've had a few tech problems or whatever. But um, really appreciate you joining us. And let's look forward to some fantastic uh, more guests in 2023. So thank you for now and goodbye. Goodbye, Roland, and goodbye to everybody watching. Thanks for having me, Roger. And thanks for the good questions uh, online. And hope to see you on LinkedIn or uh, somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, everybody. Goodbye now.